HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Today is 11, 12, 13, November 12, 2013. We're here in the studio with our good buddies Ed Verstecki from Mugsdale House and Brie O'Connor from Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, we're going to be talking with Steve Wood from Farnham Hill also on the show tonight. So it's a big day in New York. There's the Union Beer Trade Tasting. We've got over 100 brewers from around the world in New York City and uh, over 20 distillers. And after this, this show, we're all going to head over there and uh, check it out. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I mean, there's so many great brewers from around the world that we've got to meet, you know, by having our good Brazil bars, Ed. Um, are there any brewers that you're looking forward to uh, meet, meeting or re- getting reacquainted with today? I think I'm ready to meet all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, you know, half of them I probably haven't met ever. Um, I'm, you know, especially like I told you earlier, I'm one of the older people around here. <laughs> so. Well, okay. Yeah. So who who, uh, who who do you know? Which brewers? I mean, there's some brewers that come by Muggsdale House, right? Well, the guys from Smutty, you know, of course, because at one point Muggs was actually a big, huge Smutty IPA account, uh, and probably I think it was second to their brew pub at one point, you know. So we were really doing good numbers with them. So, of course, we had them show up. And uh, I believe the guys from Firestone Walker were there. Um, you know, we've had a lot of them show up through the years, you know, depending, again, the, you know, uh, like I said, Mr. Geary was there last night. He hangs out in mugs. David Geary came by mugs? Oh, he always hangs out. But he doesn't drink beer. He drinks gin and tonics. <laughs> <laughs> You're not supposed to tell me that. <laughs> Why not? And, we got, and Bree, uh, Bree's on the show. Bree, since day one, has been our... Uh co-founding producer yeah. of Beer Sessions Radio. And, she's uh, a bad girl. Uh, she's officially <laughs> moving on to taking care of some family things, and uh, it's been a great almost four years, Bree. Thank you so much yeah. for everything. Thank you, Jimmy. And we've got our that new, new co-producers that she's groomed. We've got Justin Kennedy and, and Maggie Seiden who uh, are, are working with us. But it's so nice to sit with you. I don't know if you've ever officially been on the show, even though you've 
been behind all the shows. No, I usually sit in the booth and make yeah. smart ass comments. So <laughs> make faces. This is a us. nice change of pace. Well, there there were so many good friends that you got to meet. I know you were really close with Ray Dieter. Yes. And uh, Dave Broderick. And who who are some of the the favorite guests that you got to know from the show? Oh boy, uh, there's an almost endless list. Um, there's just been a lot of really amazing, fun people, and one of the great things that I've learned from being uh, involved with the show is how much more I love the product after I meet the person, because after I meet the person, the product makes sense. Like, I know exactly why that guy made that beer, and that's kind of what makes it such a personal and exciting uh, industry. That's a great that's way good, of looking yeah. at it. I, mean, I was like, I never thought of it that way, but yeah, I yeah, agree. I people. agree with you a thousand percent with that one. Wow! And you've met so many, so many great people too. Um, well, when we first started, I mean, what were some of the challenges of uh, of booking a show when, when no one really knew us? Well, the being a completely unknown entity is is the first thing is trying to explain to people what we are that we're available on the internet and you can get us that we're archived. Just it was a very new new thing and, and a lot of people didn't know who we were and I was reaching out across the country but um, but once we got a, a fair group of people who are local and who started to support us and started to bring in other people uh, it's pretty much snowballed and right now I think we're on a pretty good clip which is a lot of fun um, right now I brought in a couple of things it was kind of feeling nostalgic so I brought in a few things from some of uh I call them guests I keep in my fridge. <laughs> um, I brought a rayon vert from um, from Green Flash. Oh, yeah. You should have brought the whole fridge. I should have brought the whole fridge. <laughs> I thought about it, but I'm sure my fridge does not rival uh, your cellar. Oh, stop. I, it really doesn't. <laughs> not by a long shot. Um, I also brought along... Um, I really had a lot of fun uh, having a back and forth with uh, Mazen Hajar from uh, from 961 Beer, uh, the Lebanese brewer. So I brought um, his pale ale, which I've been sipping on quite frequently. That, is that the one with the, the local spices? Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a very uh, – pale ales aren't my favorite in general. Like I find them kind of passable but not exciting. But this one I find really exciting. Yeah, and the, and the Rayon Vert too. That's really great. I know last year uh, Ed Ed's done what seven years of his Belgian event. Uh, yeah, this is going to be our eighth uh, first weekend in December, December seventh and eighth. And at Jimmy's number forty three, we're on our fourth or fifth uh, annual Battle of the Belgians, which is this coming Saturday, uh, November sixteenth. The first year I did it, Ed and I I booked the same date as Ed. And Stepped on each other's. He gave toes. me a friendly, friendly email. But, oh, it was friendly. <laughs> I didn't curse you out or anything. Come on. So now we don't we don't book them on. But ours is a little different. Like your event, that's why the Ram Vert reminds me of that. Because I mean, right? You do a different for for uh, some customers. This is like their favorite kind of new world. You know, it's like a it's a little hoppy. It's Belgian. It's a little sour. Not really sour finish though, right? It's like a wild. Yeah, I don't. I, I never thought of it as a sour. I mean, there's a little tartiness to it, but I, I don't think it's totally a wild ale as they call it. So it's good. I mean, Green Flash, I love. You know, great brewery. So what, what beers are you going to have at, at your Belgian oh, festival? God, I was just going through them today, and, you know, off the top of my head, I've just, uh, you know, we're trying to do, I, I'm getting a whole bunch of stuff from 12%, you know, we're doing a lot of things. We, we've actually worked with them lately pretty decently, and we're getting a lot of things from them. But, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I mean, we're going to have 
Um, some beers from Flying Dog that are going to be there tonight. You know, they're going to be there. Um, God, now you put me on the spot. I should have. I should have bought the list. Actually, well, that's Bree. So yeah, Bree. right. Who, Bree, who what, beer, the- what beers am I going to put up? Yeah. tell me. Well, what, how about this? Which brewers are you looking forward to meeting tonight at oh, the Union Beer Tasting? It's it's kind of like everybody's going to be there. Um, I since I I. Uh, I don't know if we should disclose that yesterday you had your little secret taping. <laughs> disclose it. He didn't invite me, so disclose it. Um, I am really excited to um, to stop by and check out Irene and Jamie from Full Sail and meet Dick Cantwell, um, partially because they had a great back and forth. And I know that when I have a great back and forth with somebody that um, it's going to be fun. <laughs> I think it's going to be a fun event for everybody. I mean, I'm looking forward to it, and especially going with you guys and, and Jimmy's limo. Uh, it's going to be fun to get there. And, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Living the high life. And, yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a great event. And I'm actually, I mean, I went to one, I remember that they did years ago at the Puck Building, which was, I thought, phenomenal. And now they're supposedly, you know, because it is a trade show, we can actually drink and order at the same time, which could be a dangerous thing. <laughs> oh, you mean so we can actually go there and, and place wholesale orders yeah. for Yeah, for supposedly beer. we can order right there. They're going to have some sort of software. So I could order crazy. hundreds of cases of right. beer. Right, and then you're going to wake up tomorrow. Moves. and not have to pay and, for it. When they show up at the doorstep <laughs> and you look at the bill and say, uh-oh. <laughs> well, well, it's pretty case, smart. It's in my be case, fun. my wife is going to say, no way in hell. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a good friend of ours, uh, Mr. Toshi Kayuchi. I don't think we've ever had him on the show no no he's been by your place yeah a few times. and a couple years ago when there was the uh the big japanese uh, earthquake oh, and tsunami we, we helped organize a, a fundraiser at brooklyn brewery but since then he's become a friend and he has a new beer out called the Dai Dai, which he brought to us last year in in uh in new york and now it's uh it's available in new york so we're, we're getting a case of da- the hadachino Dai Dai, which is maybe nice. like this it's like an orange rind uh, in there, real subtle flavoring. Uh, we're going to have that at uh, Jimmy's number 43 That's what tomorrow. you get for being in the city. In the well, end. yeah, but the diet. We're, hey, in, Bro- we're in Brooklyn. Hey, let's so talk about this. We don't count. Favorite beers of the year, man. We're, we're getting near the end of the year. Oh, I'm, I'm going to say mine's going to be the Hidachino Dai Dai because uh, even though I had it last year, I, I know it's going to really be a, a game changer. What about you, Ed? Favorite beer of the year? Oh, God, they're tough. I mean, you know, there's been so many good beers that have come through mugs. And, uh, you know, one, I'm just going to stick with a couple that were, you know, at least one of them that we have had uh, we have up right now, which is the Smutty Rye IPA. I think it's the first year they brewed it. I'm not certain. But their Rye IPA has really been good with me. I mean, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm in a hophead, and uh, it's been there, and it, it's good. You know, we, we're pouring it. But then a lot of Barrier stuff. I mean, I love Barrier. You know, he's been doing a great job over there, and... Pick, no. pick one, Barry. Oh, Bumble. Okay. Bumble. Actually, Bumble, after we did the green space thing, is the first time I tried it at Dave's at Blind Tiger, and I fell in love with it there, and ever since, I've been trying to get as much as possible at Mugs, and we've been pouring the hell out of it. Oh, so. I haven't had that yet. Oh, it's a great IPA. I fell in love with it. It's, it's like a it's, wheat Yeah, IPA it's a wheat IPA. Oh, really? It kind of reminds me of uh, the Gumball Head from Three Floyds. Like, it has a couple of characteristics of the same, if you ever had Three Floyds. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the gun, the gumball head, and, and you know, years ago the gumball head I never really liked, and now it's like, whew. and I a beat both of them, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And Bree, what what what's one of your favorite beers of the year? Of the year, see, then now you're getting into <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy I know, A. It's tough to say. I don't yeah. I don't get out much. First of all, second of all, um, it all kind of I uh, I get so much that it that um, 
that honestly to 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 pull out like what was new this year is difficult for my mommy brain to handle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got mommy brain and daddy brain over Yeah, there. daddy brain. Well, no, um, daddy half a brain. Well, how about this? Let's, let's go even farther back. So right. one great thing with the show, you, 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 you introduced me to so many interesting beers from around the country that we really couldn't get in New York, like, for example, Surly. Yeah. Oh, oh Surly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you know, that one, I, 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 that was a big cheat being a... Um, being a Minnesotan myself, it was very exciting to see Surly come up, and definitely really exciting to bring them uh, to the show. I you didn't have them in your refrigerator. You could have accompan- well, you know, accompanied the other friends. That's the thing. I don't. I don't get back to Minnesota very often, and uh, they they have a, a smaller distribution world. It doesn't uh, quite reach here yet, but um, and that's because they really they really care about their consumers and are. Keeping their distribution, yeah, and, and they have some tight. cool, cool beers and cans too, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, I mean, personally, um, I really like Surly Hell. I think it's quite good. I've not had Darkness yet, which uh, certain uh, previous guest that I know quite well uh, made a, a rather interesting comment that made me want to try Darkness. I'm not sure if you want me to get that blue. It was. Corey Bonfilio, who <laughs> proletarian, <laughs> yes, who you know can get colorful when he speaks, and he told me that darkness was so good it would make your dick fall off. And I thought, I'm sorry for you. That good? Um, wow, that's. <laughs> I good. think I'm safe trying it, um, but yep. I ha- <laughs> haven't had it yet, so never there on darkness. Uh, I'm, not, I'm never going to try it. <laughs> 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 well then let's keep going back I'm just now I'm thinking about all the great shows you booked okay so one time there was that like uh, long long standing uh, Seattle beer bar that we we did oh, a, a, call, a phone call with goodness um, and they owned a couple other beer bars yes why can't it, it begin with an L the n- name escapes me oh Brett's gonna kill me <laughs> I bet they're Googling it right now <laughs> um Goodness, that was. And a, we talked to the pink, the woman in the, Idaho with Idaho? The, the tiny brew pub. Was it pink pony? The pink something. Pink. Uh, God, I missed pink the Penny, Penny Pink is her name. Penny Pink. Penny Pink is the brewer's name. Uh, and sorry, and, Penny, you know, if you're out there. Yeah, and she has. That was a, a great, great. She was a nuclear uh, physicist who opened a, a brew pub who just dis- discovered brewing and then decided, yeah, this physics thing is. Not for me, and went in to open her own brew pub with a very, very sort of rock and roll kind of flair in Idaho, and she is really like, what? What a pioneer! I regret I missed a lot of good shows. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, th- I think right now I think Maggie and Justin are, are like feverishly researching all these far flung, <laughs> and you know, because Justin was just in Asheville, North Carolina, so there's all these far. F- we're in New York City, and I know a lot of people listen to the show because they want to know where to go in New York. But it, for us, it's exciting when we get to talk to people from, from other states and right. a lot of especially the beers that we don't get in New York. Well, to harken back to Ed, uh, Dave Geary, he was he was a great guest and oh, yeah. a, an entertaining man, to say the least. You know, I wish I would have been on the show when he was here because, you know, he's always – he comes to mugs every time he's in New York and we love him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he shows up and he's a great guy and I can't wait to see him tonight, actually. So yeah, and he, he does not um, – he does not mince words. He's no. he's very clear yeah. on what. <laughs> and I'll tell you guys, like, right, you know, I'm going to jump in. If, if, if you're listening live, it, it, many listen to, to an iTunes, but if you're listening live, there's still a chance to, to go to this great Union Beer uh, tasting event. Tomorrow night, uh, Wednesday, November 13th, 
It is open to the public, and I think there's a discount code out there. Uh, if you uh, send us at beer underscore sessions, you can get a discount ticket to uh, the craft the craftexp.com and. Um, it's going to be, be a fun. big event. Yeah. Big I mean, event. you want to meet all these brewers. There's many that I, you know, it's like uh, full sales, Elysian, people coming from the West Coast, people from Japan, Italy, Germany, you know. It's going to be wild. Yeah. Hey, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we also, uh, we have a big part of the show today. We've got Steve Wood uh, from Farnham Hill Cider in uh, New Hampshire. He's going to be on the phone with us. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Hey, hey, hey. This one's called Leaving by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network. Going out to Brie O'Connor. Beer Sessions Radio. Do you want to taste the finest beer and spirits from over 125 breweries and 30 distilleries? The Craft Experience, the most exclusive craft and spirit tasting event in New York, hosted by great brewers, is available to the public for the first time ever. Join your fellow beer and spirit enthusiasts on Wednesday, November 13th in Manhattan to mingle with the superstars of the craft beverage world. Tickets are available now at www.thecraftexp.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio. Brie O'Connor here, you know, our co-founding, long, long-time producer, buddy, friend, partner, everything. And we love have you, a, baby. You're awesome. Oh, and we have a woman back in the studio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are girls in. Well, no, last show they were blown away by me because I sat here. We had like five guys in here, and the last couple shows I showed up at. There was okay, always Ed, you're on the. We're talking about your Belgian beer event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me three <laughs> beers you're going to have at your Belgian beer fest. God, why, why are you putting? You don't have three spot? beers on your mind. Lambic X. We're gonna do that. We're gonna. We have. Um, oh God, no, I don't have them on my mind because right. I just went. Are you this doing a coast to coast toast with Van Bergen de Wolf this well, week? Yeah, I was going to. Do you have any beers coming in from them? I think so, and I don't know what's showing okay. up from you. I'll tell you what I'm doing on Thursday at Jimmy's number forty three. Thursday tap. We have Scaldi's triple. We got Monk Stout on draft. We got uh, from DuPont the um, gosh, one of them. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. See, there, there you go. <laughs> it thank God, I, thank God, I'm rubbing off on you. <laughs> I really like that. It makes me feel a hell of a lot better. All right, now we're gonna get let's the serious part. On. On the let's show. talk about beer. Okay, now. there's a guy on the phone. We're gonna switch over to cider. We, right. Cider Week has been such an important part of, of uh, our New York experience. It's been growing. This was the third year, and Steve Wood came down. We had, we had a bunch of great tastings and a dinner with him. Uh, really showcasing the best of the northeastern, uh, you know, orchardist apple grower cider makers. And Steve's on now. Steve, how are you, buddy? Good, pal. How are you? Thanks. Thanks for making the call. Um, I know we we had a little back and forth, and I'm gonna start with a couple questions, and then I'll let you let you take over. 
Um, just give us a little background. So for our listeners, tell us, you know, uh, how you first start got, got involved in apples and uh, a little backstory on, on, on what you're doing up in New Hampshire. Well, I've been growing apples here at the same orchard since 1965. Or rather, I started working here when I was a kid in 1965. Um, and I, I, I did various things, but I, I uh, took over production at this orchard, which was a, just a grower, well, not just, but it was a, we were grower, packer, shippers, mainly of Maxi Portland's and some very good ground in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Took over the production in 1973, I think, and bought the dump in 1984. Uh-huh. And, uh, so what were you doing? You're just well, a kid. You went. You started hanging out at an apple orchard. What's that? How did you start working at an apple orchard? I just started working at an apple orchard. It was. It had a bit to do with my father. It had. To, I mean, it was just one of those things. I was 11 years old, pal. I don't know what. Right. I was working at an apple orchard. Yeah, Jimmy. Come on. What's the matter with you? But, uh, yeah. And so, and then things kind of changed. And now we grow cider apples. And then what, what changed for you guys? I mean, you, you were you were actually you were serious about selling apples, right? That that was your thing. Uh, yeah, we were we were we were packing and shipping, exporting to England, selling up and down the eastern seaboard. Uh, you know, and it was we used to get a real premium for very high quality Macintosh and Cortlands, which are pretty damned hard to find anymore. In a way, they're not really. There are some good ones out there, but they're hard to distinguish in the market anymore. And what we were able to do back in the day, we can still do it now, is grow kind of mid-sized, really hard, delicious apples. Delicious, not I don't mean the variety. I mean, they tasted good. Uh, but a various things happened in the 80s to kind of change the economics of uh, running an orchard like that. Uh, and they had to do with the mechanization of packing um, and also with, you know, I mean, God, all you guys, I mean, the whole bloody America started insisting on great, huge, uniform-sized apples in the supermarkets and started insisting on them being wax. And, you know, in that context, we couldn't distinguish ourselves anymore. And in these bony northeastern hillside orchards, we can't compete for, on production efficiency for, you know, parts of the country where, uh, apple-growing country, where rows disappear over the curvature of the earth. You know, we've got these We've got these very irregular fields all over the place, orchards all over the place. We're, we're not, we're not, we never were brilliant on production efficiency, but we can grow the hell out of an apple. But that, the premium we used to get for having really good fruit just started to disappear, and we realized that we had to change. In the, this was in the 80s, basically. And then when, uh, when did you start making uh, hard cider? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess everybody who grew apples made hard cider for the whole time. But I started, I started some grafting trials uh, of a couple hundred varieties, American and English and French cider varieties, in the early '80s. And the truth is that I was just fooling around. I mean, we had a business. I didn't know this was going to be our business. I just thought we'd have, we had a little retail stand as we still do. I thought you know cider might be a cool little retail sideline. I, for one reason or another, had spent a fair bit of time in England and a little bit of time in France, and I knew a lot of cider growers and cider makers in England uh, or had gotten to know them during the course of the 80s. But, it, you know, it wasn't, I mean, I was just, the truth is I was almost gardening. We had a business. I wasn't planning on cutting down all the trees and planting all these inedible apples, but, but it turned out when we decided we couldn't keep going, uh, doing what we were doing, we, we, uh, we, 
took a deep breath and realized that we had a decade of horticultural experience with all these strange, many of them inedible apples for hard cider, and that among all the, the hundreds of varieties we tested, we'd found a handful that we could grow the hell out of here, that we could grow to the same high standard that we used to get a premium for in, with Macintosh and Cortland. So we took a deep breath and, God, this was loony, but we, you know, we got the bulldozers and grafting knives out. We got rid of acres and acres of very productive, good Macintosh in Portland orchards and uh, turned them over into <laughs> inedible cider varieties. And that was that was late 80s, early 90s, and sort of through the 90s. I guess we got bonded, we became a bonded winery, I think, in 95. I think that's right. Anyway, so... Whatever, that's what we did. So you got a little story. So, like, when when you first started making cider, you know, what what was your inspiration? I mean, you know, I've well, I don't know. Shoot, I mean, it was it was a, it was a traditional drink in New England, but but the real inspiration was I'd really by, by just good luck I'd gotten to know a lot of really good cider makers in the UK. I knew I knew the west of England by the end of the I knew that I knew that part of the country pretty well. So, uh, Hereford and Somerset. I knew good apple growers there, and I knew a lot of cider makers. I knew the researchers there, and I liked cider, you know. And we thought, I, I mean, but, but but it became clear to me before we even planted a single cider apple tree that um, to make what we what I think is really good cider, you got to grow the right apples. And a lot of those apples just aren't the same as eating apples. They just aren't. And so I guess that was the inspiration. I guess in a way the real inspiration was we had to do something or get out of business. So I don't know. I think we can all relate to that. <laughs> so uh, in, in I, mean, I, I should probably say the same thing now. I probably ought to get out of business. Now. I don't know what, but anyway, it's still you know we're still doing it. Well, here, it's a couple of, like just little questions. Okay, so uh, you you've said that you like to make still rather than sparkling ciders. Uh, or you used to? How, what's what's the difference in in your approach to that? Well, it's not it's not used to. I don't know, man. I I mean, I I guess what I think is that um, the real real deal with cider, if you got really good fruit, is dead dry, unfiltered, completely still, no bubbles cider from good fruit. You know, treated well, probably matured for eight to 12 months, and just put in a bottle. But unfortunately, at least at this stage of the market, that's still a pretty hard sell because people aren't accustomed to that. Um, and I don't dislike bubbles. Um, you know, I mean, tell Jimmy, you know we don't make sweet stuff. Somebody else can make the sweet stuff. So all of our, our, our sweetest ciders are pretty darn dry. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, we, it's, we partly make cider not really um, for the public taste, but to we know that we've got to bring people this to 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 real cider, and so we've got to make some you know some moderate crowd pleasers, and there are limits. We're not going to like I say we're not going to make some wicked sweet thing, but we'll uh, you know we're, we're making some nice bubbly things and some slightly off dry things. But uh, yeah, I mean in a perfect world, we'd grow great fruit, we'd make just straight old straight up cider, which would be still and still and what it is. I mean, one fine day, maybe that's going to be possible. We're sure selling a lot more still dry cider than we ever did before. In fact, we're about to send some in kegs to New York. Um, Steve, take a step back. Steve, because uh, Ed from Mugs, he asked me that. He, he asked me uh, if if he could get kegs 
Right. I was just guess. curious if the, there was any kind of keg format of cider coming in. Oh, yeah, guys. sure there is. I mean, there's all kinds of keg cider coming in. Um, you know, frankly, ours is pretty expensive. I mean, because we... <laughs> Everything is expensive. A, a lot of the cider out there, you know, it, it, a, lot of, it, a lot of the industrial cider takes about 10 weeks to make. Ours takes about a year to make. Mm. So you start with a real estate problem. Anyway, but yeah, we've got, we, we sent a bunch of, uh, it's mostly, uh, you know, six, um, five-gallon kegs to New York. Not a huge number, but we... Uh, we're, we're scattered around the city. Okay, when are they showing up so I can get one? They <laughs> <laughs> still come yeah, down. Talk to, talk to Jimmy. I'm not going to start naming businesses. Uh, okay, all right. We're, we're going over to the trade show later, later on today. We'll talk to them. I bet on. they're going to be there. Okay. So, Ed, also, uh, Steve, so some other things like tannins and apples. I only learned this year for Cider Week that apples have tannins. I never thought about that. I knew that, that that's the case with wine. Um, how do you, you know, think about developing flavors in, in your in your ciders, you know, based on the apples and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get you I to mean, talk. I don't know. I mean, it's like, how do you make Chardonnay to pop? I don't know. These <laughs> good grades. You know, you're in the southern run. I'm like, hell, I don't know. I'll tell you, what I, what we think, what I think, what we think is that, um, and mind you, this is really subjective. There are a lot of different good ciders out there, but the kind of cider we really admire and we are trying to make has some tannic structure. It's got kind of an underpinning of, of bitterness and astringency and kind of uh, just a form underneath it. Um, it's got all kinds of nice fruity elements to it, um, and it needs a nice bright acidity so nothing sits on your tongue for six weeks making you wish you had a glass of water when you get done drinking it. So you need, it needs to smell good, it needs to have some structure and feel good and taste good in your mouth, and then it needs to go away in a happy way, instead of in a way that leaves you asking for a glass of milk. Um, and in order to do that, you need, I think, you need some very tannic apples. And the best of those uh, that I've ever found are uh, actually low in acid, but really bitter, astringent, just nasty damned apples in your hand. I mean, the good joke of what we're doing now is we went, you know, we went from growing really high-quality eating apples to growing, I guess, very high. I mean, they are very high-quality, but apples, that, you know, shoot, if you if you put one of these apples in a kid's lunchbox, you're going to family court, man. <laughs> <laughs> these, these, things, these things are bad to eat. They just are, they make bloody good cider. So, But that, again, I'm not, you know, that's our view here. There are a lot of different ways to make cider. Uh, the main thing I think is, you got to start with the right fruit, and just in the same way that you can make wine out of table grapes out of the supermarket, and there's a boy a bucket load of Thompson seedless grapes grown in the world, but for selling at the supermarket, you don't see a Thompson seedless grape aisle in the wine shops. Well, the same thing's true of a lot of eating apples. You know, you can make cider out of them, but you're kind of limited in what you can get out of it. Um, so cider apples are like wine grapes in that regard. They aren't necessarily good eating apples uh, in the way that, you know, whatever, Cabernet Sauvignon isn't a very good eating grape. Their whole excuse for existence is what, is what they bring to the fermented, the fermented liquid. Yeah. Hey, Steve, so um, uh, Brie O'Connor is our, our producer, and it's her last day today, and she's booked a number of cider shows. I just want to ask her, uh, Brie, uh, one of our first cider shows, we, we brought in some, some uh, home cider makers, do you want to reflect on that and, sh- and share that with Steve? Oh, you mean Joy and Jeremy? Yeah, yeah, Those for Park Slope, yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. Park Slope, I was here for exactly. That. They and, and they, Steve's met them too. That's right. They uh, 
Yeah, they go and uh, and get a, they source their apples obviously because they can't have an or- orchard here in Brooklyn. Um, but they're really really interesting, um, uh, very passionate cider makers. Um, and curious what what you might um, what you might encourage home cider makers uh, to do from the get go. What is the first thing they need to know? Well. This is a tough one. I mean, we've given a lot of um, home cider making classes. And, I mean, I guess that <laughs> you first have got to get the best fruit you can. But, you know, the unhappy fact is, at least right now, it's really hard to get really good cider fruit. You know, and uh, just going and buying heirloom, people think, you know, just because something's old, it makes good cider. Well, you know... Yeah, people used to eat green meat, you know, just uh, some of the old varieties aren't very good for much of anything. We grow a lot of heirloom varieties, but they aren't all good. Um, no, the ones we grow, I think, are good. But the thing is, just going and buying an heirloom variety, the juice made from one of those things doesn't matter, doesn't really mean anything. I mean, I guess the thing is to, to say that try to find some juice that's got nice, bright acidity. Um, and, you know, if you can get a hold of some tannic, juice, do it. And I, I, my main encouragement to people is that growers all over the country are finally planting more and more of this stuff. So more of this juice is going to become available. And the, the only other thing, I, the really strong advice, and the trouble is that this is most home cider is ma- still made by home brewers. Brewing is like cooking. Cider making is like wine making. And the trouble with brewers making cider, in the same way the trouble with brewers making wine, is they want to fiddle with it all the time. <laughs> And so I guess while you're looking for good fruit, the first few years while you're learning how to do it, keep your bloody hands off it once you get it fermenting. And stop, you know, don't don't keep adjusting and fiddling and whatever. Just leave it alone. Let it make itself. Once it gets going, if you've got good fruit, it makes itself. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it's awesome. Hey, Steve, will you stay on the line with us? Uh, is it, can sure. you stick around? We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a few minutes here on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! This one's called Kill Me in the Summertime by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network. .org. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage. What did I say? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> welcome <laughs> back to Beer Sessions Radio. That's a Jimmy Walker well, from... I'll give the <laughs> shout out. We're here out in Bushwick, Brooklyn at, at, at Roberta's. Yeah, Fat Albert, sorry. <laughs> hey, hey. Here's my trivia. So, uh, Steve, you still hey, on the line with us? Yeah. Steve Wood from uh, Farm Hill Cider in uh, New Hampshire. So, Ed Barastecki from Mugs Ale House, who's going to become one of your good customers. He had a couple questions. First, Ed, what? You have some apple trees in, in your home? And, yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I was you live in Brooklyn or Queens? Well, no, I, I, I have a place upstate, so we have a couple of... Uh, Where? We inherited up uh, in Jeffersonville, New York, um, and we inherited a couple of apple trees, and these they, they bloom, 
and we get fruit. And the apples, they look like they're Macintosh. A couple of the trees look like they're Macintosh apple trees. But they're all spotted in black. And I know that my wife, she said that we have to, you know, prune them and all this other stuff, which we have to do. But the fruit that's been coming out, actually, we've peeled it, and it, it's pretty tasty. But I'm curious, what does the black, like, spotting mean? Is it, like, too much water, not enough water, or something else? Dude. Or it's something that you, know you can't answer? <laughs> um, it's probably apple scab, which is Venturia inequalis, which is, a, which is a fungus that is the commonest uh, fungus that infects apple trees in the Northeast and actually in the world. But... And, you know, I mean, there are, we aren't the only creatures on this earth that like apples. Fungi, bacteria, insects, arachnids, oh, there are all kinds of things that will, you know, I mean, I say attack, but they aren't really attacking apples. They're just trying to do what we do. You know, we're, they're using them to eat. They're using them to lay eggs in. I guess we don't lay eggs in them, but, but anyway, right. you know, so it's probably scab. And I guess my advice, I mean, we, you know, we have to, we, I run a commercial orchard. We, we need to, we need to keep the trees healthy and keep the fruit relatively clean. So we do need to spray a bit. My advice to everybody who's got a couple of apple trees in his backyard is right. either really make a complete study of, of all the diseases and insects and everything or don't spray. Don't go down to the garden center. No, we, we haven't sprayed. I mean, uh, I hope yeah. that we ate them is not a bad thing. <laughs> no, no, no. i got to tell you one other thing, which is you said you need to prune them. Right. You need to prune them if you want them to do something for you. Apple trees are trees, just like the trees in the forest. Right. And the worst day in their life was when the happy homeowner comes out fingering the, the blade of a pruning saw. Oh, really? You know, thinking that the poor tree needs pruning. The poor tree doesn't need anything. So don't prune. Don't prune. Don't prune. Well, if you, I'm just saying again, if we prune everything, but you know, we know how to do it, and we're trying to make the trees do something. It's like training a dog. We're trying to make the trees do our bidding. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're probably doing more harm than good with a pruning saw. And I'm not saying that you can't do it. I'm just saying if you're going to prune the trees and try to get, you know, get the advantages of pruning. You can't just go out and start cutting on a tree. I mean, you can, fortunately, because apple trees are like Labradors. They're one of the most forgiving creatures on the earth. You can kick, kick the hell out of them. I'm just going to drive up to you, and I'm going to bring you back, but, and you're going to help me. That's all. Yeah, we'll we'll you figure know, it out that way. You to come help them with their apple trees in their backyard. I mean, I, you know, I've got, I've got a day job like you. You know, yeah, that's right. we, we all need a vacation. <laughs> Steve, on that note, yeah. are there other uh, other other cider makers around the country that you're, you're going to and helping with either uh, some of your cuttings or giving them advice that we should know about so we can uh, Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of them. I mean, I, we, we've, we, I, the, the great pleasure at the moment is a lot of commercial growers, really good apple growers, not necessarily all cider makers, are starting to plant some of these varieties. And we've been giving away budwood, propagation material of all these varieties for years, and I don't know, three years ago, I may have given away 3,000 buds. This year, I think I gave away 50,000 buds. And maybe that's kind of crazy because I'm kind of, we're sort of killing a market. That we've, and we sell this fruit all over the country and the juice all over the country to people who don't have the sort of juice we grow. But what we're trying to do is encourage people all over the country to grow their own damn juice. And I guess our theory is that, uh, you know, real cider regions will start to develop when people start growing apples in their own apple-growing regions 
for the purpose of making cider, not just using, you know, cold dessert fruit, but actually growing cider fruit. And that really is starting to happen. And I guess we have helped people a lot do that. And, you know, unlike a lot of folks, we, I mean, we don't play our cards very close to the breast. No, we don't play them at all close to the breast. We'll tell anybody anything about what we do. Um, and so we, we, ha- we, we have, I guess, advised a lot of people about, you know, how to get going in, this, in, in making cider. Um, one of the things, the main piece of, the, piece of advice that we give people that they don't really quite take a lot of the time is don't think you know what you're doing. I mean, we, we don't, we know we don't know what we're doing. We've probably been doing it as long, we've been doing it as long and probably longer than pretty much anybody in the country. We feel like rank amateurs here. And I think our cider, if it's any damn good, it's partly good, largely good, because we know we don't know what we're doing. We're always trying to figure out how to do it. So, and you know, we, we, we have tried to, we have tried to get other people making the stuff and growing the right fruit and all that, you know, and it's, it's finally really happening, which is very encouraging. Uh, Steve, to jump to jump ahead a little bit, I mean, a little more political. We joked about. Uh, I said that can cider uh, change the world, but then you said, could cider be a game changer for northeast small farmers? Well, you, you remember my answer to the first question is pretty much no. So I don't know that cider can actually change the world, except to the extent that it's one more pleasure in the world. But it can, I mean, in the same way that it's kept my orchard alive. We're, I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not a two-acre orchard. We've got, we've got about a hundred acres here of, of, of fruit. Um, yeah, I, um, and it we actually that varies, goes up and down. But you know, m- most of the time they're 80, 80 acres or so with trees in them, and that land is starting to make sense, economic sense again. Um, in the same way that it did, you know, 30 years ago when we were growing really good Macintosh and getting paid for it. And I do think that if a, you know, a cider market for really good cider that depends on the right kind of fruit develops in this country, and I think it is going to develop, it is developing right now, um, there are a lot of orchards, not just in the Northeast, but all over the country, that will start, start making better sense economically than they do right now. And that does save land from the bulldozer. So that's, you know, that's, I think that's kind of cool. I don't know. That's great. And, and one last question. Uh, talk about the Johnny Appleseed myth. Because you're kind of like Johnny Appleseed now. You talk about the Johnny Appleseed myth. The guy was a whack job, all right? He was a Swedenborgian who, I, I, you know, I don't know enough about him to really be able to talk. I mean, I do know that he was planting seedlings for cider. Um, you know, and so the, the the notion that he was going around planting apple trees for apple pie and mom is completely wrong. I know he was smart about, you know, I mean, he had a pretty good business going on because he was a, he was basically a, a nurseryman and a salesman. But, um, you know, I don't know. I think most <laughs> hell, man. You know, I mean, you know, tell me about Pope Innocent the Third. Give me a break. I don't know. I don't exactly, know. Jimmy. Give the guy a break. I'm, I'm only asking questions based on your reaction, so. But you're kind of like a Johnny Appleseed then, though. But you're out there propagating. You're almost like a Johnny Appleseed now. Well, I'm not a Swedenborgian. I might be a whack job. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I don't know what you know. Yeah, we. I mean, we're grafting and planting trees and trying to talk other people into doing it. So I guess to that extent, we're doing that. But look, you know, the other thing, the other question you asked, which is uh, your note to me. I, you know, this isn't just me. This is, I mean, the, this place, Farnham Hill Ciders, 
I guess we're doing a pretty good job. But without, you know, the people who work, I mean, Brenda and Fitz and Nicole and the, my wife, Louisa, and I, we, this, it, we, we wouldn't, we'd, we'd be dead in the water. We, we, we could not do this without the really, you know, very good people who've gravitated here and continue to work here. And it's a, it really is, it's a, it's a little business, but it's a highly collaborative business. I mean, I run the show. I make the decisions. But I, really, we got good people here, and I, you know, that's that's had a lot to do with uh, the development of, among other things, our sales of cider and the, you know, the horticulture, the horticulture in our orchards as well. So, um, but yeah, I guess yeah, Johnny Appleseed. Jesus, I don't know what I don't know whether to be insulted or not, but I'm not a Swedenborgian. Okay, don't be insulted. Don't be. Insulted. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. No, it's all good. <laughs> Swedenborgian. And, and you know, you, you know, you know. Well, anyway, look. That's another thing. It's probably not for beer sessions radio. Go look it up in Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I, the last thing, of course, we're, we're, we're drinking your ciders right now. Um, my favorite's always been the Kingston Black. But uh, when you came up for Cider Week, you tasted us on uh, some of your new Perry, which is a, the pear-based uh, cider. Are, are you going to make the Perry, or are you still in experimental phase? Oh man. You know, when we started doing this stuff, I grafted a bunch of peri pears too. And peri pears, good peri pears, they have one thing in common with good cider apples, which is they you can't eat them; they taste awful. Um, and we, you know, I mean, this was this commercial experiment. When we started all these um, uh, grafting trials back in the eighties and nineties. Yeah, you know, I mean, just shifting to these strange apple varieties was just about all we could bear to do, if you know what I mean. And, uh, damn it, a few years ago, the few grafted pear trees you've got started to bear pretty good fruit. And we finally started to make a few barrels of perry, and I don't think our perry's all that good yet. But we were really intrigued by it, so now, now we're planting perry pears. And, you know, perry pears take about 12 years to come into bearing. I'm in my 60th year. You know, I'm going to be walking with two sticks and spitting out my teeth before we really know how to make Perry, but we're going to try to so do it. So is Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you do for next week, isn't it? Make some good Perry by and by. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's great, man. Hey, Steve, it was great uh, getting to, to see you again in Cider Week this year in New York, and um, look forward to seeing you again. And uh, if, if, if do you guys give tours if, if people are up in New England? Uh, can they stop by the poverty lane orchard or, or do you shoot yeah people? i mean I, the answer to the first question is no we don't give tours but but we're but you know in the fall we're open for you we got a regular pick your own orchard and all the other stuff and if people wander in here you know fortunately there aren't that many people who wander in and we're very happy to let them wander. i mean we're happy to let them wander around anything so anybody who comes up here is happy to look all over the place and take walks in the orchard and come poke around the cider room um we usually if we got time somebody goes show them what we're doing but this, you know, I mean, this is a, I'm sitting on a cold concrete floor and it's about 19 degrees outside. This is not a tasting room with teak lined walls and a Bipsy and silk, you know, address with pouring into tasting glasses. You know, it, it's a production place. And we do let, we do, you know, we, we're very happy to have people come visit, but quite often it's not quite what they expect. <laughs> so. So yeah, you were driving up there. It's a nice place, you know. People, you know. I mean, we got beautiful orchards, and people walk around them, and you know, there's cider in the tanks, whatever. Well, you know what? Thanks for coming on, Steve. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. All right. So, yeah, I like you. Thank you, folks. 
See you later, Jimmy. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. And, Thanks, Steve. Uh, Thank you. A couple of events coming up. Ed, tell us about when's your Belgian Fest again? Uh, Belgian Fest is December 7th and 8th. We're going to be doing 20, hopefully around 20 each day, as we always do. And, uh, 20 beers on draft. Yes. Yeah. So that's it. And then we're doing that Jimmy's number 43 this weekend, the fifth annual uh, Battle of the Belgians. We'll have over 30 different Belgian and Belgian-style beers, including the uh, Green Flash Rayon Vert, which is uh, one of our favorites. And that was great. And Brie O'Connor, thanks so much for, for everything you've done for Beer Sessions Radio. <laughs> oh, I know you're going to do some new things and take care of your family. Yeah. And uh, looking forward to seeing that great book about beer or something else soon from oh, you. I'll let you know. All right. Yeah. Cool. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com have helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Beer Sessions Radio is also supported by the Good Brew Seal, of which... Mugs, Alehouse, and Jimmy's number 43 aren't members. You can find us on Facebook, and also you can follow us. Uh, check us out on Twitter at, at beer underscore sessions. If you like this podcast, give us a good review on iTunes. Thanks to Ed, Steve, and Bree for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee, Brio Connor, engineer Joe Galarraga, and our new producers, uh, Justin Kennedy and Mag inside. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Cheers to Brio Connor. All right. Hey, it's hey, Brio hey. Connor Day in New York City. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.